0: Hello folks, John Senholzer here, another live podcast here at the McShen Foundation in Richmond, Virginia. I'm your host today, John Senholzer, president and co-founder of McShen, and also a person in long-term recovery, which for me, that means I've been, next month will be 38 years clean if I make it. And uh, today we've got a special show, a special guest, a good friend of mine, Ryan Riggs, uh, a pillar in the community, in the recovering community. And, um. We're not gonna waste a lot of time. Uh, Ryan, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Uh, I'm Ryan Riggs. I also am a person in long term recovery. Uh what that means to me is that uh you know, I've not found it necessary to use uh aside from prescribed medications, uh any mood or mind term substances. Um, in about nine months now since my fall. But uh other than that I'm a father, a husband, friend, business owner and um
0: the B- business is good right now here. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's doing well. You're a floor, a floor contractor? Yes, sir. I hear you had so much work, you took a week off. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it made a, made, a, made a bit of a mistake. Nah, a bit you didn't. You, 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 you clearly needed some time off. So, so briefly, just give me a brief history of your, you know, I guess your life prior to finding recovery, what, five, six, seven years ago? Just a quick, you know, one-minute elevator. Basically. All right, so
1: basically i uh, you know, used drugs basically since I was a teenager. Um, been in and out of jails institutions pretty much the, the vast majority of, of my uh, juvenile and adult life. And, uh, and, you know, tried recovery about 2006, came in and out a bunch of times. And in 2013 uh, or 2014, I, I found recovery and uh, some lasting recovery. And uh, on that journey, I... Uh, you know, got heavily involved with the recovery community and, um, you know, became involved with the McShane Foundation and a couple other organizations and, and, uh, you know, really, uh, try to do my best to help, uh, the next sick and suffering, uh, adequate person. uh, when,
0: when, When did you meet? I know you walked in my office one day. Do you remember that day?
1: Uh, I walked in there many, many times, but, um, I think the time that you may be referring to, um, we
0: hired you, Yeah, but, but you, you were, you were living at home then, or where were you living then?
1: Well, I had went, I was, I was leaving the recovery house and I had went to, I had to kind of took a step up and went to stay with, uh, with Danny. Uh, and, uh, and then yeah, yeah. You know, I was trying to fill my time. Cause I, <laughs> you know, uh, I need, I had the downtime. You were,
0: now. you were a tree climber contractor yeah. or a tree helper. I, mean, I know you were. You were in my office bitching one day, go man, this is hard work. I got to do something different. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I was in there, me, you, and Matei, right? No, mm. no. What happened
1: was Cricket. There was a job opening at a, at a at a jail, and Cricket at the time couldn't couldn't get in, and he he dropped my name to you and brought me up, and then uh, called me and arrested and his friend.
0: Well, if I remember correctly, we were in there. Talking to you, I told you. You know, Sheriff had called me up from Chesfield Jail. He wanted to start this new program, and we were going to go in there and kind of shape it, get him, get it off the ground. Correct. And I thought you'd make a great hope dealer because I know how how uh, how valuable that is when you bring a hope dealer into a, a correctional facility to carry that message of hope. And you and you're definitely a great hope dealer. And uh, we had this great conversation, and you know we couldn't possibly pay for so much money. And, uh, I know you didn't like the money right off the bat, but it wasn't tree work. So that had a little attraction to it. It was only <laughs> part time. And, uh, then I found out you didn't have a license or transportation. And I think Matei was, was we was in the room because yeah, I looked yeah. at Matei, I say Matei. You got a license, right? He said, yeah. Guess what, man? I just got you a job, man. I think
1: Matei had 30 days cleaning at the time. Yeah.
0: I mean, you don't have to have a lot of clean time. You just got to have a desire to really carry a good hope shot. But uh, So he was driving you over there. And uh, what was your first, like when you first went into the Chesterfield Jail Heart Program and started facilitating, what what were your feelings at the time?
1: Uh, I was scared, but – a little bit nervous, but at the same time, I I really just my main feeling was was really just um, I had been so blessed. I think I was coming up on on uh, my first year, and I I had so much good going on. I just wanted to be a, a vessel to kind of carry. I wanted to to give everybody. So you you had a heart
0: full of gratitude. You had an amazing journey. A lot of great lived experiences. You had a a buddy, Matei, to ride with and talk to and and do this thing. And, And I know he probably felt like a a duck out of water when he first walked in there.
1: Oh, yeah, he was because he had never been, unlike me, you know, he had never been uh, incarcerated, so he was definitely a fish out of water.
0: Yeah, he's he's a natural clown, though, so he probably did real well just walking up in there. So, But after a day or two, you must have got your sea legs and you was feeling pretty good, and you said, hell, I got this, man, this is good.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. I had been to so many different programs. I kind of basically just utilized, um, you know, all of that different stuff. And uh, I think you and I put together some curriculum and some ideas on how the direction we wanted to go. Man, jail
0: programs are really simple on the the hope dealers. I just go Mm -hmm. in and give them a vision of hope every time you walk in there. Hey, Lisa, how you doing? Lisa said hello, man. She she found us through the, the same spirited recovery model up in the RSW. So a couple of few days going by now. You must've recognized some people in there. You knew some people in there. Yeah.
1: I knew everybody in there.
0: <laughs> like a homecoming, <laughs> man. Yeah. You know, it's amazing how small the, the addiction, the recovery correction community really is. You know, a lot of the same faces, same places, same illness, but this time, you know, thank God for Sheriff Leonard and his free thinking. You know, he was able to say, look, we got to do something. Let's start a recovery program. Let's do something different. And, uh, I mean, it, it, it took off fabulous, man. I mean, it had great instant results. You know, keep in mind programs like treatment or drug court or any of them, you know, there's definitely going to be a lot of success stories coming out. And then there'll be some tragedies, you know, coming out because that's the nature of our disease. And there'll, there'll certainly be relapses. But So you're plugging along. You're in there a week or two. When did you get your rhythm? When did you feel, you know, at what point were you going in there when you thought, hell man, this is this is cool as shit, man. I love this stuff.
1: Uh, I mean, pretty much immediately, but I think once I started to see the buy-in, once I started to see the buy-in from the from the participants, um, you know, and and and, 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 that, and the staff
0: was cool too. I mean yeah. they 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 I mean, Sheriff Leonard, my hat's off to him. I can't never praise him enough for letting the Hope Dealers do what they do best take off the restrictions, let them go up in there, give the hope shot, reach those people, inspire those people, you know, connect with the community inside and, and give them an opportunity to connect on the outside. So to me, it was like just an amazing opportunity all the way around.
1: Yeah, it was. And it was like a perfect storm of things too. You know, at the same time, Ryan Hampton was doing that uh, addiction across America thing.
0: All That's that right. We brought him the up in there y'all up in there mm-hmm. when he came in and filmed that little shot yeah and that uh, helped
1: with the buy-in, you know guys started seeing that, and it was just it was a it was a great culmination of 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 just guidance. you can see the fruits of your
0: labor when that video comes for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, if you go to Google or YouTube and just youtube uh, right turn left turn, Chesterfield, and you'll see a, uh, I think it's only an eight minute video or it'll pop up and it'll give you a good uh insight on what it was like that day to be in Chesterfield jail with the heart program and uh you know inspirational these recovery programs are inside a correctional environment so so how long did you work there total
1: i think i was at i think i was there for the first 18 months i was the, pretty much me and mate were i started off as a facilitator then we did some other stuff and i became the corrections program whatever coordinator for for there and for pamunkey and uh so i did for about 18 months or so 16 months something like that and then um you know, my life beginning to get better, and you know, by this time I had custody of my kids, and so you, 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 your your
0: whole life came together. I wanna to, mm-hmm. wanna the hello care. Got glad you tuned in here, and, and Jill, we're gonna to get to your uh, question in, in a few minutes. That's part of our topic today: is fall from grace, so to speak, or or a boost to a higher level of grace, however you want to look at it. So I do, I do recall in the process somewhere along the line you realize holy shit i can't really live off of this you know i gotta i gotta make make get a real job make some real money
1: right and uh yeah and so uh you know some of the connections i had made i was offered a job working at a uh a medically assisted treatment uh model uh addiction medicine facility and so uh you know i came and talked to you which is one of the hardest conversations i've ever had to have <laughs> and uh and but you were you know super supportive, and I left and went and did Man, I'm, I'm
0: the first guy to admit when I lose talent, I, I get pissy right away. But then I realized McShin, we're just famous for creating great talent. And, you know, we're a transitional company. People come through here, find out what they're good at. But we, we can't never pay but so much money because we simply don't have it. But a lot of agencies popping up all around us. They can afford to pay a lot better wage. So anywhere in the Richmond community <laughs> It's probably got some McSend blood in a lot of these places, which we're very proud of, actually. But, you know, just, that's just the way things go, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely do that, man. It's still to this day, I mean, you're constantly churning we, out. We, we crank them out, yeah. man.
0: The, um, so your year and a half there, you got, you got your life together. Things are good. You got your wife, your kid. Uh, you got respect in the community. People are coming at you. You got all these great new circles and friends you're running with. Mm-hmm. And then you make the jump. How was the jump when you, when you left?
1: it was it was good it was it was real good <laughs> especially the money part of it but it was uh it was different you know because i had came up in like a 12 step basically guided um mentality and and so to go and work at a facility like that it was it was different but it, it helped give me a different so, perspective. so
0: you so you're you're a byproduct of working the steps having a spiritual awakening able to that message to others that needed it.
1: Absolutely.
0: And, and I and I agree that that's an incredible place to be in. It's a good feeling. So your new job, how'd that go? You started making better money, right? Yeah, I started making
1: better money, and you know, and was able to, you know, do some other things and continue to strive to do more. And I was there for about a year, a little over a year. And uh,
0: where was, which one was that? Was that VCam? Or? Yeah, was that VCam? Fact, yeah. And yeah, then, they they done good. They blowed up now, man. Yeah. They're like huge now yeah yeah i was there
1: in the beginning and then i left from there and went to another agency um you know
0: what was it like jumping ship there did did you want to did you need to or you just thought it was a a higher calling well
1: honestly i i loved it there but at the same time especially the staff there um everybody was amazing but uh but i had an opportunity to go and work back with people in the criminal justice system you know um you so, know, so,
0: so your 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 pocket was where you could make a better living or a good living, but then when it, you got the call to go back, get in front of the newcomers at at the criminal justice level, that excited you. Yeah, because that's my mm-hmm. that's that
1: was my passion. You know, I, I spent the majority of my life um, in there. So,
0: so I, how, I how clean me. were you at that time? Uh,
1: I think I had about two and a half years.
0: Two and a half years. Or Two
1: years or so. Two years, two and a half years, And
0: that's, that's when you went over to what real life, wasn't yep. it? And that, that was a cool little spot, wasn't it?
1: Oh, amazing. Uh, Dr. Scarborough doing great
0: things. And, man, um, you should have seen her in the city jail when she first went in there to do her dissertation. Mm-hmm. This little college girl goes in there, you know, amongst, you know, almost a thousand inmates and helps Sheriff Woody shape one of the most incredible correctional curriculums of all time. I'm not just talking to the, the substance abuse pods she opened up down there and expanded on but she did all these other great programs i mean i I was amazed at what she was able to do down there yeah well she's a she's a
1: she's you know very talented and 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 good at what she does and that's been probably my biggest asset and and i've been very blessed to be around you know starting with you and then going on to dr thompson and then being around dr scarborough because there's things that you get when you are around you know people of of that caliber and and And, kind of you are a
0: bit of a sponge i've noticed that you can sponge information and Mm -hmm. and you you, you're good at absorbing knowledge you know what i mean i give you a lot of credit for that because i hear you're an ace floor guy now too so so, so you must have absorbed that pretty quick yeah well i
1: worked for a bunch of different organizations that i had multiple roles and so when you do that you learn how to adapt and so you know in real life i did some marketing and so um, you know, I utilize a lot of that stuff that I learned there. I utilize a lot of things I've learned everywhere to continue to, to move forward.
0: Yeah. Know? Hey, hey, Robert, we're going to get to your question a little later in the show. That's a great question you popped up there. So, Ryan, <clears throat> you're down in real life. Things are plugging along. Your life is good. You're, uh, you know, you, you, I guess you're feeling good about your place in society, in the community. You feel good about yourself, your recovery. Yeah. Is that pretty <laughs> Yeah.
1: yeah yeah very if you want me to expand i'll go and just take off of what happened <laughs>
0: well you know i think i think it's important for the listeners to understand and, and i always keep my out, out for this topic and this sort of situation the um you know we can be in great places man our life can be going better than we ever dreamed we ever thought the future looks bright i mean does that sum it up
1: yeah. I mean, pretty much. I mean, you know, using was definitely not even on my radar. Um,
0: and So, so what, so how how long clean were you before you realized?
1: I have four years and like four year, four and a half years.
0: All right. So you're four and a half years clean. You're, you're doing great. You're this wonderful hope dealer in the hope dealer space. Uh, life did, you know, yeah, it could be better. We could, I guess, make more money or whatever, but what happened? Somewhere in there some thinking must have crept in, something must have happened. What happened?
1: So uh, you told me to be brief, but basically a multitude of things. I I you know, I was kinda discontent in my stat my position there. I like to move and just keep moving up and up and up and I feel like I kinda got to a place professionally where it wasn't really anywhere to go.
0: Well there's a lesson learned there. When you go to work for a business and and, and you're it's a small company and you're at the the peak of where you can grow with that company. That happened to people all across America at right. the time. So so you find yourself in a stagnant growth position with the company,
1: right? Okay. So that's one thing, and then um, you know just but you being, knew
0: that going into it, though. right? Okay. Right,
1: and then being super busy too. You know, my my meeting attendance they kind of um, slacked off, and
0: well, that's um, that's that's important to point out. I tell you why, because a lot of people they get going, good life is good, and the very things that got them to where they're at, are the first things they get rid of sometimes when life gets busy. So, yeah, so you're unhappy a little bit with your potential progress you, you you're busy you're starting to cut loose you're you're meeting attendant, i imagine that that true true that true spiritual connection to the to to, to folks i'm i'm guessing yeah and also
1: you know it was like i had kind of um i don't know man it was just there was a lot of weight on me it was a lot of i felt like a lot of pressure from you know kind of people tended to kind of place me on this pedestal um you know, uh,
0: so being, being what you would on a pedestal in recovery in your case, you felt pressure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. On top of all that. Uh, and then right at that same time I had to get some teeth pulled and, um, I ended up getting a dry socket and, uh,
0: the old teeth pulling shit come up, man. So here we are. You got doctor visiting here, right? Mm mm-hmm. And, uh. So you got the dry sockets or so what? I've I've had that before. I didn't use.
1: So I had the potential to, at the time, I, I was, I could have got some narcotic medication, but I had, you know, met some people along the way that had. four
0: tooth? Yeah. One goddamn tooth? They For give you two, that. I had two, and dry two. socket and both. I, they
1: weren't going to give me no huge prescription, but they would have gave me enough to get through it. And, uh. But I was afraid to take it, so I had known some people, and and I had been watching. I just happened to run across a documentary about kratom, so I decided I was going to take kratom. But I told my sponsor, I told some other people, I had some accountability, and uh, and I took it for a couple of days.
0: Did it help the tooth? Yeah. And so it worked. So you took some kratom. Uh, I guess you just bought it and took it, and it helped with pain. You didn't yeah. feel like you abused it or nothing, right? No. All right. Then then, then so all was well. All is well except uh, (laughs) now (laughs) I
1: have to ride by the store where I get decredit them at every day because you can buy it, you know, right from the store. And so...
0: Just like alcohol, just like a lot of shit. Right.
1: So I obsessed about it a few times, and and uh, but so now, you
0: got sense. a little high head off that Kratom is what you're saying? It yeah. Woke up the beast. no, no doubt about woke it. Woke up the beast.
1: Yep. And, uh, and were you would,
0: sharing that with your sponsor when you're driving by the Kratom store, or you can think about it as Kratom.
1: No, not. Well, I think I might have shared it with a couple of people in my in my close network, but um, you know, at the time, uh, whether right, wrong, or indifferent, I was at a place where. You know, because of the pedestal I felt like I was on, um, or the people had placed me on, there was this fear of of being completely honest. Like when I would go to meetings, I couldn't really, I didn't feel like I could really share honestly about where I was at because there was clients of mine and um, you know uh, all types of stuff going on at at meetings, and so um, you know you had that whole dynamic. I'm not saying that,
0: that is pedestal pedestal syndrome when you feel like you got shit going on that you can't share. Because well, you're not supposed to have that appearance to other people, you know that you're weak or some shit. So,
1: well, not just that, but but moving forward with that. So eventually, I ended up hurting my shoulder playing softball, and then I took kratom this time, and I didn't tell anybody, and so mm-hmm. uh, I did it without any accountability. And and what
0: you mean you hurt your shoulder? Just like a little stiffness, or
1: I was going to slide, and when I went to put my arm down, I jammed my shoulder real bad, mm-hmm. and uh, and this time I took it, and uh, and I didn't tell anybody. So I guess you could maybe that could be the beginning of the relapse. I guess, um, but um, uh,
0: well, I've hurt my shoulder before, and I didn't. I mean, it really bad. I went and got a what do you call it, the X ray, and that uh, that other little to go through the tunnel and shit. You know, it was, it was really painful, and but in the end, I just you know. I never took nothing.
1: Were you a bad motherfucker? No I'm, no,
0: I'm not, man. man. man I'm just saying. <laughs> they, they, you got you got real meds for real pain. But I, I think what I'm talking about, the addict mind. Yeah, no a tendency to talk yourself into shit. You oh, don't really there, Without
1: a doubt, there was.
0: And this I, is takeaway for Could, take I, have, away from could I have made
1: it without the, the medication? Yes, but like you said, it opened up waking up yeah, the beast. That, yeah, that's exactly and what so I And so then mean. after that. You know, I took it for a while, a couple about a week or so, and stopped taking it much longer than I needed it for. And then I didn't take it again for a few weeks. And then
0: um, the shoulder pain go away. Yeah, yep.
1: Yeah, and then now at this point, I got shame and guilt because now I'm working in the field and I'm doing something that nobody knows about, and I can't really talk about it in meetings because I'm afraid of it. You know, because and this is not to bash any type of program, right? But you know, it's supposed to be anonymous, but unfortunately. It's not always, and so I couldn't. I, so, in your like, mind and
0: heart, you felt you lost your clean time. I did, but know. I felt
1: like I couldn't really talk about it because I would. Every meeting I was in, there was somebody that was somehow connected to my place of business, and so I was dying to talk about it. And I talked about it with a couple of people close to me, but I couldn't really share about it publicly. And so, or so I felt that uh, going back, would I've done something different, of course. But at the time, this is just what was going on in my head, and so
0: um you know i've been i've been around a long time and, and when i got something i really need to share i'll go to a meeting i've never been to before where i know there ain't gonna be nobody there so you know lesson learned there too you know if you feel like you can't share something in a, in a particular meeting you go to regardless of where you work go to another meeting you know yeah. R- richmond's real real we're lucky we got 100 and 120 meetings a week so it ain't hard to go to a meeting that i, I can go into and i don't know anybody in it so just trying to help. Figure I think out. I may have
1: done that once or twice. Actually, I think I might have might have done that during that time mm-hmm. period. I'm pretty sure I did, but uh, but but yeah. So well, I did that, and then and then uh.
0: So then then what happened? You you, you fell off the rail somewhere along the way. Yeah. So then I,
1: I went to Mexico on vacation, and uh, and you know, and I at this point I had been taking kratom for like a two months without stopping. But and, you're uh, taking
0: it to get high, though.
1: Yeah, but I'm not like taking—not to just justify it, but I'm taking. Yeah, I'm definitely taking it to change the way I feel. Right. But kratom doesn't get you high like some like, stuff gets like you high. Like drugs get you high. Right.
0: So it just kind of. So you took it for like a mood enhancer. Or yeah, something.
1: like give me a little pep, and um, and nobody really knew, and and uh, and I went to Mexico, and I drank when I was in Mexico, and and uh, and then when I came back, um, just one day I went and started and I drank here, and then, you know. And basically, it, I could tell the whole story. But basically, it snowballed, and very quickly, uh, you know, I relapsed, and and uh, ended up, you know, having to tell my place of employment. And
0: so, what happened to relapse? Didn't didn't something happen, or?
1: Well, that particular time, nothing happened, and uh, and 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 then I went back to work.
0: And what do you call relapse? is drinking, or did you do drugs? drugs? I did. I did. A,
1: I mean, I I drank and did drugs on that one, and. uh and then I went, I uh, took a couple of days off work and tried to get off to get off to cry I and mean, I'm getting on a a, med- a maintenance medication and, um, like and went, or, yeah, okay. yeah. and went back to work and, uh, but it was like, you know, even with my place of employment, it wasn't okay for me to share that with anybody. So, uh, you know, um, I mean, my, anyway, I don't want to get into that, but well,
0: that's, well, I mean, you don't have to get into detail, detail, but that's pretty, that's pretty, you know, A recovery guy, an abstinence based recovery guy, you 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 do a slow relapse. You have your relapse, then now all of a sudden you're medication recovery guy. You you already said earlier felt like you're on a pedestal, so you're feeling let down, I guess, on the inside at this point in time. You're starting to feel like a failure, maybe. Tremendously. And uh, you're, you're you're trying to be in a space where you're supposed to give a hope shot, and hope shot when you know coming from the heart and the life, you know. So I mean, I I can see it, man. I'm, I'm feeling you. I'm feeling it right now. As you're sharing it, so I appreciate you sharing that. You know, this is important for people to understand this. You know, we we're in a hope dealer space. We got all these these perceptions on things, but at the end of the day, we're human beings. We're not perfect. Shit happens, and as a recovering community, I think as a whole, we we should be able to deal with this shit better than we do. To be honest with you. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I try to maintain a level of compassion and understanding and openness. But, you know, stuff messes with me, too, sometimes. You know?
1: So I drank, and I did that, and then eventually what ended up happening, after I, I, I relapsed that time, I, I didn't use again uh, for a couple of weeks, and then I drank one day, and, and what ended up happening is I ended up uh, taking a, uh, a Xanax, which if anybody's ever taken that, it basically makes you black out, and uh, I woke up in jail. And, um, one Xanax one I, took, I, I started with one <laughs> how many I took after that I don't even remember but um, I definitely took a, took a Xanax or multiple but I started with that one and then I woke up in jail And uh,
0: holy shit yep. what was that feeling like um,
1: that
0: would be one of your worst nightmares it
1: was humiliating you know what I mean
0: it was it like a? a well, how long were you in jail? Ten days. So you sat there for ten days. Here's it, part of the the mental health side of this, a guy, a human being, a good recovery guy, you know, makes a mistake, and, and you got to come to grip with what you did in a in a correctional environment, a jail, and you you relive in trauma you relive in serious pain and that was that was was that what jail was that
1: dude i was in chesterfield Chesterfield. in the program they like i ended up going in the harp so i'm like it's just a whole nother level of humiliation man you know what i mean like i'm in the i was grateful to be there don't get me wrong they loved me to death in there but it was very humiliating you know because all these people at this point in time like in my mind, the sheriff and the deputies these were my peers at this point. I was working on a I was working with the Commonwealth attorney on a on a diversion program like my 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 circle of friends had completely changed you know, so these people were my peers. I thought, and then all of a sudden, I'm sitting in jail in a program that I helped create um you know, and I'm no longer those people that I looked at as my peers don't don't feel like my peers anymore
0: you know, so you lost that feeling. You went from a peer one day to
1: a client or an inmate or a resident or, a, you know, in some people's eyes, a, a nothing, like a, a basically don't want no affiliation with me whatsoever from people that I spoke with on a daily basis to spend time with, to text it with, to now they don't even want to be associated with me at any level or have anybody know that they were ever associated with me.
0: You know this is a good good evidence right here on on how the stigma is still so strong even even people professionals and peers don't fully understand the depth of this illness and the recovery process. I'm not saying you were just arrested for you a, it wasn't a DUI, was it? Or? Yeah, it was
1: a DWI, yeah. and then I had drugs, too, so it was a possession charge.
0: So, But you were like parked or something, weren't you? Or?
1: Yeah, I, had, I had went off the road. I didn't hit anybody or anything, but I think I had like um, maybe like fell asleep or something at the wheel and had yeah, kind of that, rolled yeah. off the side of the road or something. I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah, uh, they, I don't remember, so I don't
0: know. Yeah, uh, they, do, they do think of that as a public safety issue. Oh, no doubt. It definitely was the um but still uh, there's got to be a way to have a guy like you or people like you you can't be the first one that's happened to you won't be the last it must happen with some kind of frequency you know may, maybe part of your future mission might be to how to come up with some uh you know techniques everybody can use under these circumstances you know to try to maximize the outcome of your recovery capital not not beat a horse while they're down so to speak and that's what you felt like right
1: oh no no yeah definitely what i felt like i mean um You know, man, but you got to think, though, at that time, too, it's like uh, a lot of self-centeredness in that, you know, because I'm feeling so down about myself. So, of course, I felt, you know, outcast, and I felt, uh, you know, looked down upon, and, and, uh, you know, I tell you, the probably the most devastating thing was, well, there was a a number of them, but, um, you know, doing as much as I thought I had done to try to help. Like, there were people that, like, that I helped numerous times that were just dogging me, man. You know? And uh there was colleagues of mine that I spent lots and lots of time with that to this day have not have not spoken with. You know, um, that, you know, that work in an environment where they say, This is a disease, let's help people with addiction. But then I relapse, and because I'm your colleague uh don't you know go for you yeah it don't it don't work for me so
0: even so. we get discriminated against from time to time yeah and it hurt and,
1: yeah. Yeah, and i get it you know what i mean I, I understand that i that i let some people down and i hurt them you know and and um and i and i you know and i owe some people some you know some amends for that and i and i get that man you know um
0: let me, ask, so. let me ask you a question so you're in jail you did 10 days in jail you're in the heart program the, the program you was the, the hope dealer in. Now, now uh, you're a participant, mm-hmm. and you said a lot of people loved you, cared for you. So you did get some, you did get some love when you needed it. I did. But there were some other people you you would have hoped to have gotten some love from that you didn't get. That's correct. And uh, but you must have ended up in court at some point yeah.
1: I did. I did. I ended up in court and uh, to try to get a bond, and they they denied my bond and said they, well the, the ladies fighting too. So this prosecutor, they got a special prosecutor for me because the Chesterfield Commonwealth Attorney's Office couldn't prosecute me because of my relationship with the current at that time uh prosecutor so they brought in a special prosecutor from Richmond, and she is just going in on
0: me (laughs) she she didn't want to hear about your successful track record how this is just the sheriff
1: went in there and talked to her and like said you know i don't know if he talked to her but he was at the court before i went in and she was aware of who i was and what you know, my background was, and she didn't care one bit, and she still doesn't to this day, despite the fact that I haven't given one positive urine screen. I've done everything they've asked now, me to do. How long ago
0: was that? That was uh, nine months ago. So back to the courtroom, The and I'm glad you're doing good nine months later for sure. So you're in court. <clears throat> how did you end up getting out?
1: Uh, I was bonded to true recovery. Um, but like they almost didn't want to let me, so... so <laughs> Uh, Just let me give me a second to decide this. Right. So when they were going to send me to a recovery program, um, I had, you know, David Rook was there um, to help me, you know, and say that I could go there. But the prosecutor argued, basically questioned his integrity and said um, and said that I shouldn't go somewhere where I have a relationship with the people that run the place. At that time, I had a relationship with you guys. I had a relationship with every everybody. Yeah, so what was I supposed to do? Stay in jail for forever because I have a relationship with people that are service providers? You know, so um, it took some fighting, and really she wasn't going to let me out. But I just, I asked her, I speak, and I said a few things, and I, and I begged her. You know, let me go home. At this point, I, I'm, a, I'm a homeowner. You know, I have a family. You got wife
0: and kids at the house with your house, and, you know, you, you still got great work potential, whether it not be where you were, but I mean, you are a useful productive member of our community. Yeah, no doubt. It was, It you, was, was, you have one shitty decision and now that they're threatening your, your freedom for a long period of time.
1: Yeah, they do. And it was, it was hard, but they let me go. And then, uh, you know, I had to stay at true recovery and, um, just recently been technically, you know, been recently released from there. So uh, now I'm back home, but, But there's so much to cover there. But yeah, they, they, uh, I just don't think that they understand, not the courts don't fully understand or grasp really what addiction is at the level that, uh, you know, RCOs and people in these environments do. I don't think that they, um, you know, fully, fully understand. Well, corrections
0: um, have the habit of throwing the baby out with the mm -hmm. bathwater. That's an old expression I learned years ago. You're right. They don't understand, you know, somehow while we're doing our stigma reduction, our education, we, we should probably include, you know, relapse in there or incidents such as this. Because, I mean, you know, on one hand, it's a terrible thing what you went through and what you had to go through, what you're going through. You know, on, on the other hand, you know, they're looking at it like the public safety piece. You know, thank God nobody got hurt or killed. Um, but then on the other hand, you know, it was likely... You weren't going to do this in the first place, or weren't going to do it. I mean, there's a lot of lot of thoughts goes through a lot of people's minds, you know.
1: Well, the argument that she made was the prosecutor is is that if I ever get like her argument in court is, well, what happens if he decides to get behind the wheel and use again? And he could potentially be a danger. But
0: with that logic,
1: I would be in jail for the rest of my life because at some point, I could possibly use again. You know, know,
0: as with with everybody, but but you hadn't had a new charge of crime in almost five years right or yeah was, last time you were dude i've been fully restored
1: got my gun rights back and everything
0: you know right when when was the last charge charge you had before that one 2013. so that's like seven six eight years, years. six, six years. years yeah no they,
1: seven years Seven years. I'm
0: sorry. yeah see they were treating you like your old self and not treating you like your new self
1: do she literally went through my record and went through in the bond here, and went down every charge, which I got like five pages of charges, and went down every charge and said he was charged with this at this time and this. But she stopped at 2013. Now, I didn't have an opportunity to speak, but that's what they keep doing is they bring up they bring up my record and they bring up my past, but they stop when I got clean. Wow. right? But they don't bring up what I did from that point on
0: that's your lawyer's part, I guess, to do that. So Right. But even when he
1: brings it up, like it ain't much of a, don't make much of a difference. They still look at it. They, they want to count my past, but they don't want to count all of my past. Right. I
0: just don't know why they just time. couldn't let you do like a, uh, a GPS or one of those monitors and send you home. Why'd you have to go to a recovery house? I mean, what was the logic there?
1: Their logic was that I was, uh, prone to continue using and that, um, you know that i needed to be in some form of treatment in order to be out of jail
0: so what uh what what do you think your i mean you know your family what were they going through during oh man my
1: wife was going through it man um you know my wife my kids were very scared um you know my one my youngest daughter she'd never you know been seen this mother my 12 my year old she was been through this so many times you know um, with me and my mom just so she was, you know, crushed. My wife was trying to hold everything together, and um, yeah, man, it was it's a very, very trying time. Um, a lot,
0: lot of uh, trauma ripples through the family. Yeah, no doubt like about that. it,
1: man. My daughter, man, you know, she, my, 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 twelve-year-old, she's, she's still having like some, you know. Some do you stuff. think?
0: Do you think the prosecutor thinks what they're doing to the family at this point? When you're in the courtroom, they're looking like, okay, there's a the ripple effect. Yes, we have to worry about the public safety with the, with the with the car wreck, but this man's got a wife, two, three kids, career. Do you think they consider that? or No, I
1: honestly believe, and this is just my opinion, and it could be for me being bitter, I don't know, but I honestly believe that a lot of times in court it has nothing to do with public safety or nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with... I'm on this side and you're on that side and I'm trying to beat you and you're trying to beat me. And basically anything in between the, 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 the the actual, you know, uh, family members and the the actual offenders are just chess pieces in a game of who can beat who. That's what it feels like.
0: Wow. So what was it like over at true staying there with that? You know, what you needed. Was it good? Was of course, man. It was great. <laughs> it was
1: great, David. David, um, I'm very, very lucky to have uh, you know friends like David, man. So he's
0: one of the guys that stood up, embraced you, displayed compassion, understanding. It, he did, but I tell you, it
1: was it, it hurt a little bit because um, once they questioned his integrity over there about being my friend, then he had to kind of take a step back from me. And me and David were close friends, you know, and we I, I think we still are, but our relationship changed because as my relationship did with a lot of people, you know, um, you know, because he couldn't, in order to maintain his integrity, he had to, and and not be biased. He kind of had to take a step back and a hands-off approach and that shit hurt. You know, it hurt when you go from seeing somebody and hanging out with them on a pretty much, you know, at least once a month, if not more than that, to not never seeing them again, you know, other than talking to them on the phone, you know, and, and seeing them as in a, in a place where they're in a position authority
0: of capacity not a peer capacity right yeah that is i guess one of the pitfalls of this industry so how hard was it you know walk us through the first couple few months trying kind to. Of, i guess i know you weren't employed for a minute or you were worried about income
1: yeah i was i i went from you know because i had developed bills that matched my income
0: <laughs> <laughs> i hated it
1: so uh luckily i had you know, put some, a little bit of money away, but that went through quick. And then, um, I did a, uh, I had a fundraiser that, uh, that I did. And, um, and I really just did it because so many people had offered to help that I did it as a way for everybody to put the money in one spot. But I caught a lot of flack for that, by the way. But, uh, people talk dog me for that one. But, um, but anyway, uh, but yeah, I was, I was struggling, you know, trying to figure out what I was going to do with myself and, uh, you know, uh, career wise. And, um, but you know, I, you know me. I'm gonna go get her, so I don't stop. So.
0: Oh, you definitely you yeah. you ain't a lazy guy. That's for sure. Yeah. So, now the first few months, I imagine you you felt like some people made of shania or, you know, of course, I'm sure some people loved you no matter what. Yeah, but let me let me
1: say this before I move forward to is, is, you know, I got on medically assisted treatment. Like I want to make sure that i I'm, was important to me to say that you know. You know, because I want to make that clear that that's you know that's my pathway at this time. The same way that I was outspoken about my pathway when I was just a twelve-step guy. This is, you know, I have incorporated medically assisted treatment into my pathway. Um,
0: well, let me some ask a question. Like that that's interesting. Uh, you know, we, you know, I'm pretty open to most. I guess all pathways, be honest with you. The uh, and I and I'd rather see somebody take kratom than take methadone, be honest with you. So, but you you had a relapse. You relapse on alcohol and Xanax, but yet you end up on Suboxone.
1: I was on Kratom for two months before oh, that. Oh,
0: so it's so okay. So you're taking Kratom, so you, the Suboxone helped you get off the Kratom in this case.
1: Right.
0: And that's better than Kratom. I don't know if it's better, but
1: it, does, does it matter if for it's, for it's better if it works?
0: It? Well, I mean, if money matters, I mean, you, you, I guess who pays for it, the Suboxone?
1: I mean, I paid for it. Uh,
0: I mean, don't Medicaid or are you got insurance? I, I had
1: I'm, Medicaid, but I'm,
0: you know, you got insurance now or uh, something like that. So, <laughs> I missed the point on that. We got to talk later. I want to find out what, right. what, what's out there that ain't going to pay for it. So, <laughs> um, all right. So three months, you want, you're on crowd for three months, two months, About two months. So, so you went from crowd to box. I mean, you know, I don't think people realize that, you know, the stuff is out there. Uh, people will use one form or another or they'll use another pathway to get off another pathway. I mean, that, that's, that's, we've have a whole nother discussion on that
1: one day. Right. Well, the thing is, is that I never, I never envisioned that I would ever be that this would be where I'm at. Like never in my wildest dreams because it, it was medically since treatment never worked for me. I always used other right. drugs. Like I never thought this could be me, but at the time I was so desperate and I was afraid because I knew that dealing with the amount of humiliation, embarrassment, I knew all the stuff I was dealing with and I was facing at the time when I relapsed that, that there was a high likelihood that I was going to use again. At the time I wasn't, I couldn't have gotten a Vivitrol shot, you know, because I had stuff in my system. So I made a decision to get on, on medically assisted treatment. And i tell you, to me, it was the right decision because not everybody agreed with that, but you know, the people that disagree with that, that are closest to me, you know, now they understand that they think that that was possibly, you know, that it was the right decision.
0: The, um, so you're nine months removed from your relapse yep. and life is good. You're working again. You got good income coming. Your family's back together. Things are hopeful. Are you, are you still attend meetings like you did or? I do not. So you got turned off from that particular segment of your well, life pathway? I wouldn't or...
1: say I got turned off by it. Um. But you won't feel
0: in the love. I'm or... not
1: practicing. Like I'm not, I practice that type of lifestyle, but you know, to, to 12 step recovery is a, it's a program of complete abstinence from all drugs. And I'm just not, I take a maintenance medication and I'm well aware of the, and it's not everybody, you know, I know I have a lot of friends in 12 step recovery to accept me fully, but just from a program standpoint, they are specifically designed for people with complete abstinence do you so,
0: do you miss the camaraderie the connection the the events the
1: at some level but I've developed a lot of friendships through my years clean where I utilize those friendships like i still everybody in my life today is are people that that I built and the relationships that i built as as my as my recovery progressed for all the years, like people might look at this relapse and say, hey, you know, um, you've been in recovery for nine months. Like, I don't look at it like that. Like I had a relapse and I've been clean. I have been clean again for nine months, but I have been in recovery even before the four and a half years that I had. I have been in and out of recovery. Um, and and I, like my recovery time is when I started trying to do something different. So I've been in recovery for X amount of years. I might only have this amount of time clean, but my recovery is an ongoing process. And I fall sometimes, and I slip, and I get up, and I keep going. And the only thing I've done correctly is I have not given up.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking before the words came out of your mouth, I'm thinking you ain't give up, man. That's good. It was hard, though. But, you know, I think that's most people's journey, though. Most people, it ain't ain't one and you're done. That's rare. It's hard to find those people. Hey, Todd, scroll down to Robert. Robert had a question I wanted to tackle. Oh, uh, I said, uh,
1: hi, hi, Carol Lee. I see.
0: Yeah, she loves <laughs> She told me to shut up earlier and let you talk, man. <laughs> I said, that ain't how it rolls here, Carol. I asked the questions. So, Robert, he asked a question. Six states have reduced, reduced drug possession from a felony to a misdemeanor. Do you think the loss of the stick of the threat of a felony record would prevent people from seeking drug court or other treatment. What do you think about that? Ryan? Hold on to that. I'm well, a lot of guys me. go to drug court because they get a felony or they're threatened with a felony. And now that states are starting to reduce you know, user amounts to a misdemeanor or possession to a misdemeanor instead of a felony, so apparently some of the drug courts are, are worried they might miss out on some participants. But But, Robert, I think drug courts – Specialty courts, uh, mental health courts, multiple pathway courts—really should be open, and we need more of them for people at any level of their addiction, whatever they respond to, whether it's a misdemeanor or felony, threat of jail time or whatnot. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that yeah, of course, if people aren't facing you know a felony charge, and of course the, 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 they're going to drop from going in a drug court, but. The, the key is to have other resources available in the community.
0: Other capacity, other than drug Right. Course.
1: It's not a one-size-fits-all, you know, uh, thing. And I, I think one of the big things I noticed in my time of working in this sphere is, is the, the competition between different service providers, man. Like, we got to get out of the way of that, man. And not uh, just, you know, every avenue is, every pathway and every avenue that we can have to help people is valuable. It doesn't matter what it is. You know, um, it's not, the one thing not for everybody, uh, but you never know when the person's going to walk in the door of a drug court or RCO or whatever, and that might be the time for that individual. So it's just important that we have it available for them.
0: Is yeah, that, that Cousin Joel I see on there down in South Carolina, wherever you live at? But, you know, so you're not a big fan of how, I'm not going to say all the Virginians, but Virginia, we do have, uh, except, I think if you count them up, I'm not saying they're all utilized today, but there's over 70,000 correctional beds capacity in Virginia. But I, I, I swear I can't, I cannot count a 1,000 tax-funded treatment center beds, you know, 28-day beds. I don't think we got a 1,000 in the whole state, but yet Sheriff Wade, when he did a survey, 87% of his population was in jail related to addiction in some form or fashion. I mean, I think there's a lot of disparity between the correctional bed space and the treatment center space, and even then, you know, case in point, you know how valuable recovering communities are and sober living is. Mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, I think that's where Virginia can make hay at right there. You build up those recovery residents capacity. You know, I know in Richmond we probably got about a thousand recovery beds if you add up everybody's recovery organization.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it. Yeah, I think it's definitely valuable um, to have more beds and more resources available for people on the street and not. But, I I mean, this is not going to be popular for me to say, but, you know, but at some level, you know, I think utilizing the correctional system for what it is, it can be beneficial, too. I'm not saying keep people locked away for long periods of time, but, man, who's to say what would have happened if I hadn't went to jail? As much as it hurts and as much as I hate it, um, and I'm not not advocating to send people to jail, but, you know, um, I needed that. I needed that
0: reminder. Uh, I needed
1: that to get in my way. Up. Yeah, because man, like I almost got bonded out and they they stopped it, but I was on the way to get bonded out. But man, thank God I didn't, you know, because at the time the humiliation and everything I was going through, I just would have went, I'd probably be dead right now.
0: So know? so earlier in this very hour, you was showing not a whole lot of love for the prosecutor, but now you're like kind of grateful it, it panned out the way it did. Well, I
1: think my... I got some resentments, man. You know what I mean. So <laughs> I guess so. I, I'm, I I'm, I'm happy that, that I'm not happy that I went to jail. Of course not. And with them, it's more so the humiliation. You know, it's more so the way that they treat uh, treat me in there. Uh, but you know, the dehumanizing of me um, as far as the prosecutor. Well, that's the
0: problem with corrections in general. You know, most of our people, uh, those suffering from mental illness and substance use disorders, the last thing we need to do is be really living traumas in a correctional environment. So I think that's a big area of need is to humanize the recovery experience in correction. And and I I think Sheriff uh, Leonard does a great job. He does the best he can with what he's working with. Um, But if I was saying earlier, what I was trying to say, maybe we could add content to these programs. So when, when recovery people find themselves back up in there, maybe help create some curriculum that will reduce any further harm or traumatization, but at the same time, take advantage of the opportunity to, you know, retool some info.
1: I agree. And I think that like, and I've seen this throughout my journey and, and, um, you know, the different agencies that I worked at. Now, if I'm being honest, man, like if you work in this space and you relapse, there's no space for you. Like at most places you're fired, you're let go. There's not a, there's not a track. Of, okay, how can we get you back? It's you might be able to come back if you go get yourself together. Not like where if I work for another organization, say I work for Philip Morris and I was to go get a DUI on a drug charge, Philip Morris would give me a leave of absence and send me to treatment and then I would come back and I would be at work. But for some reason, in this sphere that we work in, where we know more about addiction than most people, when a when a when a, serv- when a person that works at a service provider relapses, half of, if not more than half of the time, they are let go with no perspective of what the future looks like for them. You
0: yeah, know? but but you but you weren't let go the first time. It was like the second time when you got locked up. It doesn't like. matter
1: if it was the, if it was the first or second time. There was no there was no uh, recourse or avenue of of what it might look like to have me back. In fact, it was um, you. Know,
0: yeah. Well, I got I got a little input. I do know I'm not going to call him out by name, but I do know a CEO of a one of the most well-known treatment centers in America. He he did get a DUI, got arrested, and they actually they kept him on, and he's he's still there today, many years later, in recovery, doing great. Um, in our space, you know, when we relapse around here, you know, I guess we're under a a bigger microscope, you know, next thing you know, you got prosecutors and and judges and POs and tax funded agency leaders going, well, what are you doing? Letting people use run people who are trying to get clean, you know? So, so you,
1: so you say, okay, the stigma wins.
0: mm -hmm, Pretty much, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that's gotta be our future, but, that's the way it's looking right now, you know, but I, I think we've given a few people a few chances around here too, you know. So that, that's an area I guess we need to look into more. And, yeah. You, know, you, you got great experience, and coming on this podcast, is, this is one of the most valuable podcasts we've probably ever had. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think you it's, know? I just, I,
1: I'm like, I, I didn't say that to bash anybody because I, I honestly believe that people are doing the best they can. But like you said, man, the stigma associated with relapse, Especially from a service provider perspective, is exactly what you said. You know, it's well, people are going to know now that this guy that was working for us would use. What are they going to say? What are they going to say about us? What does that say about us? You know, and so, it, well, yeah, and we've
0: sent guys to court to advocate for people, and the Commonwealth <laughs> wants to rip our advocates apart because they might have a PO officer. Or oh, they do opinion. that to me every time. I mean, so yeah.
1: when I used to go to court and testify for people, they would they would say they would end it with. Um, have you ever been convicted of a of a crime that involved theft uh, or, or, or dishonesty? Yeah, <laughs> to try to bash me. But the good thing about recovery persons as court advocates is we lay all of our stuff out there, so you can't you can't attack us because we, we're used to playing That's the That's true. We are game. pretty
0: transparent. Right. You got that right. I had
1: Scott Miles actually came up to me. I think it was Scott, or it might have been the prosecutor came up to me after I testified one time, and he said, "One thing I love about you guys is they can't." <laughs> like they can't attack you. Ain't know, no you
0: secrets, man. Yeah. You
1: put it all out there, you know,
0: maybe you need to run for office, man. Oh uh, no. Nah. Oh, come on, man. No,
1: nah, I'm out of the public sphere, man. Well, I tell you one thing I learned from all of this and is, uh, you know, the more public, on. the more public, um, you know, that my recovery, uh, was, and I had kind of put myself in this position to kind of be the voice, uh, or, or, or try to be a voice for a group of people. Um, you know, when I fell, it was a lot of humiliation um, and and that stuff surrounding and then a lot of pain and stuff, so today, just for me, I'm not saying it will never happen, but I choose to not put myself in a position to be on no type of pedestal because I, um, the fall, you know, the fall was hard, so.
0: I think one of the founding principles of the 12-step program is humility, and they actually talk about that, avoid, you know, pedestals and whatnot,
1: so. Well, you know, You're not going to know this lyric, but um, (laughs) most people won't. They're probably watching. But Kanye West got a lyric. He says, it's hard to be humble when you're stunting on the jumbotron. (laughs) So, like, it's you know, they say humility, but at the time, it was like for me, and I'm just being honest about this, my ego did get big, you know, because everywhere I went, it was like Ryan, 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 you know, and it was just... So, it's just a byproduct. It wasn't like I was trying to be like that. It just, it, it, you know, of course I felt invincible. I felt like I knew some things, um, you know. And so, just for me today, man, I just choose to kind of stay out the way of all that. I kind of do my own thing. My circle's small. Um, you know, I, 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 I practice the principles of that I've learned in recovery to the best of my ability on a daily basis. And, um, you know, I try to be better today than I was tomorrow.
0: Yeah, you. Uh, I mean, I was yesterday. Yeah, you feel good about coming on today? yeah i do i am still
1: a little you know apprehensive all yeah
0: it. yeah
1: maybe sometime in the you know future I'll be able to i'm still dealing with a lot of pain man because like I said a lot of the um the people that I consider you know I had some people that I consider friends and allies of mine that I honestly haven't even spoken to since everything happened not by my choice but by their choice, and so um you know, it, so, you, it's, so you think there's some
0: people out there you'd like to rekindle you know, relationships with or you feel like they should not treat you like you got the plague or something? Or... Yeah,
1: I mean, because at the end of the day, like, I need, I need, I need people. Like, the, a major part of my recovery is, is the social part of it. And so, um, yeah, like, I need, I need them people in my life. I've learned to manage and get by without it and develop deeper relationships with the people that are closest to me
0: um you go to church or anything or i don't man
1: i don't you know but but you know i i, I literally do not hang out with anybody and they're not in recovery like i just don't
0: you just don't go to the, the meetings you used to go to well because
1: of covid and everything i'm not saying i'm opposed to going to meetings
0: but I'm i don't i try to would bet money i'll see you strolling a couple meetings in the future in the near but, future right
1: but why would i want to go to a place Right where I'm considered,
0: because they don't have an opinion on outside issues, man. Yeah, but so, why would
1: I want to go somewhere where I'm considered a sub, a sub, a sub recovery person because of my choice
0: to take but a medication? That, but see, everybody don't think like that. I mean, Not we, everybody. We but, got staff here on MAT. I got people in my home group on MAT. I sp- I sponsor people on MAT. Do they
1: pick up key tags? Would you would Absolutely. you su- would you
0: suggest to them to pick up key tags? Absolutely. I I took uh, an abuse as a newcomer, you <laughs> know, and, and you know that's still MAT. <laughs> people mm. on Vivitron, that's MAT. Well, I I had,
1: mean, I had somebody close to me was really. I think the last meeting, the last time I went to a meeting was I had somebody really close to me say, um, that was I can say he would sponsor me, but we were. In that lane. Yeah,
0: some people don't think like I do. Well,
1: he said, "Would you consider not picking up a key
0: tag while you're on maintenance?" Well, I mean, don't make it about the key tag, you know.
1: And I was like, "But it, no, but I don't care about that. But what it did, what well, this person is close to me, and I love him to death. You know what I mean? But it was like, if somebody that close to me has that opinion of me, then what does everybody else think?
0: Who gives a shit, man? I tell you. Well, you say
1: that, but it, it, but we all care what people think.
0: Hey, I just made it clear. I sponsor people on MAT. People in my home group are on MAT. I got staff on MAT. If you take an MAT as prescribed and, and you ain't getting high on it and abusing it, as far as I'm concerned, that's recovery, baby. That counts, man. But I, and don't everybody have to think like I do. And then the 12-step program I go to, they, they don't have an opinion on that either. Yeah. You know, they got an opinion on abstinence from get-high drugs, but not abstinence from medication that saves your ass. So... And people can argue with me. I don't care. That ain't up for debate for me. Me either. And you I know, feel the so. same way as you,
1: you know. But I, at the same time, from a different aspect, I also don't want to feel like I'm infringing upon <laughs> yeah, the singleness of purpose it. for a 12-step program. You know what I mean? So yeah. I don't want to be in there promoting my pathway in there because I yeah, don't want but to don't, hurt don't anybody. go
0: there to promote it. You ain't promoting it. You go in there to get a message of hope for the disease of addiction. That's all you're there for right. and help a newcomer. I, I don't go in there promoting anything outside of their own message so now maybe that's where some of the confusion comes in
1: yeah but so it's like okay you can go to this meeting but don't talk about this
0: no mm-hmm. because the the uh um, it works how and why i forget the page 198 any any topic that an addict needs to share the topic for discussion in this meeting you know so that, that that's just individual people man but that debate will be be around forever i guess
1: yeah well you know I don't know, man. I don't know how much longer we got, Joe. I just want to thank you. I needed this. You know, I needed to talk about this stuff because i kind of been carrying it around with me and not really, you know, from going to speaking pretty much in public spaces for the better part of a few years and doing it pretty frequently to not really talking about this stuff and kind of shouldering it on my own has been a heavy burden to bear. So I want to thank you for allowing me to. Man, I'll to tell you like, what, I'm, I'm
0: impressed you come on the show today. I'm, I'm glad you reached out to me. I'm glad you. You did what you do, man. I love you. I'm proud of you. I don't think no more, no less of you. You know, I, I wish I had a floor job for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> You got cricket
1: doing all that stuff.
0: Shit, man. He tried to do a floor round. He's like an old man. He could hardly bend over, man.
1: Yeah, I didn't know the toll it took on your body either.
0: Yeah. So, all right, gang. That about wraps it up for today. We, we're at the top of our hour. I uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. God loves you. I love you. We wish you well. Until next time, more be revealed.